first time in a long time we got to talk baseball, and it's not about the start of the season. Major League Baseball is holding its draft this week, and Royals beat writer Lynn Worthy checks in with Sportsbeat KC, the Stars Daily Sports podcast, to discuss the team's first two selections. It's Thursday, June 11th, and I'm Blair Kirkhoff. Those picks are Texas A&M left-handed pitcher Asa Lacey, taken number four overall, and Baylor shortstop Nick Lofton, the number 32 overall pick. Lynn breaks down those selections. After a break, you'll hear from Royals Assistant General Manager for Scouting, Lonnie Goldberg, and General Manager Dayton Moore on the selections. And hey, so I lied a little bit, we actually do talk a little about the baseball future. But here we go with Lynn Worthy talking draft. Hey Lynn, how you doing today? Good, good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it was um so we're 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 in between draft times for the Kansas City Royals. They had their uh, the Major League Baseball draft uh, started on uh, Wednesday evening, and it continues on Thursday. We're talking on Thursday morning, and the Royals have two picks in the fold. Uh, number four overall, they selected Texas A&M left-handed pitcher Asa Lacey, and with the number 32nd pick, they took Nick Lofton, a shortstop from Baylor. So they were in Texas Texas colleges for for both picks. Let's start with with Asa Lacey. Did um, did the Royals think that he was going to be available to them at number four? No, and I mean truthfully, at the top of the top three picks sort of blew up everybody's mock draft because um, even when I did a, a projection of the guys who could be available at four, I left Lacey out of it because I didn't think there was any chance that he would be there at four because um, you knew Spencer Turkelson would go first. Um, projections had Lacey going to the Marlins at three. And so you knew they'd still have a pretty good player because, you know, they only left one person to go at two. And even with two, there was some speculation that Baltimore might go for somebody who was under, uh, under slot, which is, you know, their GM had been with Houston and ran their draft and they'd done that, um, uh, regularly, um, with their drafts in Houston. So you thought that might happen. But then once Torkelson went and then Baltimore did go, um, uh, Kirkstad, I think is how you pronounce it. Um, and then Miami sort of shocked everybody by going Max Meyer, who signed for a little bit under slot reportedly. That left the Royals with Austin Martin and Ace Lacey as options. And in right. a lot of third-party um, rankings, they had, those two guys were like two and three, or some people even had Martin as the top prospect, but those guys were top three um, prospects in this draft in, in most rankings and both of them fell to the Royals at four. Yeah, that was the, you're right. The number three pick by the Marlins, Max Meyer, the pitcher from the right-handed pitcher from, from Minnesota, university of Minnesota. That's the one that, um, that sort of tripped things up early in, in the draft. And I was just reading some comments and you'll hear those comments by, by Dayton Moore and Lonnie Goldberg here after you and I talk that they were, uh, they, they didn't go to bed the night before thinking that, Asa Lacey was going to be available to them, or Austin Martin, really the shortstop from Vanderbilt, uh, available to them in 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 the, at number four. So, so tell us what what are the Royals getting in in Asa Lacey? He he's put obviously some great numbers, and I I respect numbers that come out of the SEC. It's the best conference, uh, top to bottom, in college baseball. You know, shortened season, of course, this year. But um, but uh, tell us a little bit about Asa Lacey. Yeah, he's a big left-handed kid from the state of Texas. Uh, 6'4", 215 is what they list him at. Um, throws uh, not, His fastball gets up to about 98, they say. Um, the 
they grade out for depending on who you ask, um, three or four plus pitches. Um, it's fastball, slider, changeup, curve. Um, and the curve is the one that I think uh, some places have is maybe just a little bit a tick above average, where the other ones are a little bit better than that. Um, but he was regarded by a lot of people as the best pitching prospect in this draft. And, I mean, I think Lonnie Goldberg last night used the term no-hit stuff, talking about how good he is. Um, just, uh, I mean, he had four starts this year, and he had 10-plus strikeouts in three of them including one where I think he struck out 14 in like five innings. So, I mean, he's just, you know, I mean, Tim Corbin, the Vanderbilt coach who's, you know, had more success than just about anybody um, in the last 18 years at Vanderbilt uh, said that's one of the best left-handed pitchers they've ever had come in the SEC in his time. So, um, I mean, this is, this is a guy that people think could be a, a frontline pitcher potentially if he reaches his full potential. And he follows in a line of recently drafted Royals pitchers, right? I mean, they're they're looking at, you know, we're looking at Brady Singer and and Daniel Lynch and Jackson Coar and and Bubik, and you know, it just seems like that's been a Royals emphasis over the last two or three drafts. Yeah, I mean, I think I mean Dayton said it before that it's all about pitching when it comes to you know being able to build a team to compete for championships. You've got to have pitching and, and not just you know a little bit of it. I mean, like it's you look all around the game and especially in the minor leagues, when you're talking about prospects, I mean, if you think you've got 10, then you might really have two or three. I mean, like that's just how it works out because of injuries or ineffectiveness or, you know, something goes wrong or, you know, just, that's just the way it sort of unfolds. I mean, it's, it's rare that all the guys that you think you have that are uh, starting quality pitchers turn out to be that. Um, So you've got to load up on them and, yeah, the Royals, I mean, you've got their top four pitching prospects are basically knocking on the door to the major leagues already. We saw them in big league camp this year. And now you add Lacey, who, you know, even Moore says, you know, Dave Moore said was a guy they thought could move quickly through their system, you know, when when there is a, an actual minor league system to, to speak of. But, right. Um, yeah, but uh, so, I mean, it's it's moving towards, you know, uh, it's, it's in – it's all part of building towards, you know, being able to build a championship team and having enough pitching to sustain that. And then also the fact that Dayton said it flat out last night, like if they have to go compete for these guys as free agents, then they can't get those guys. So you've got to get them in your system. Right. Uh, Not the first time the Royals have uh, gone to Texas A&M for an early draft pick, uh, even for an early left-handed pitching draft pick, Jeff Granger, uh, was picked by the Royals in the first round, number five overall in 1993. Didn't pan out for him as a as a major leaguer. He did he did come up and, and pitch in the majors briefly. And I actually I actually covered his first his major league debut at Kauffman Stadium, but um, uh, that one didn't work out. Maybe this one will. Let's talk a little bit about um, about Lofton, the, the the Baylor shortstop. The thing that strikes strikes me is the the guy's versatility. How many different positions he plays. Yeah, he um well in, in college he was mostly a shortstop. Even though he started uh, in left field, I believe his freshman year before he took over the shortstop job, like midway through his freshman year. But then he played on Team USA and started at five different positions for Team USA. Uh, I believe it was short, second, third, left field, and right field. If I'm 
I'm remembering correctly, but five different positions. Um, he's a, you know, a solid, he's one of those guys who's solid all around. Like he's not a tool that necessarily jumps out that everybody says that's going to carry the day, but he, he's definitely a, a big contact guy. He's one of those guys who puts the ball in play, doesn't strike out often at all. Um, and, you know, he was about a 300 hitter throughout his uh, collegiate career. And they feel like there's still more to come for him. I mean, I think um, somebody on the conference call mentioned with Merrifield and Lonnie didn't shoot that down. He said he, he felt like that was a, a pretty good comparison because of the versatility, because they feel like there's still more of a ceiling with the bat and um, just because of his intangibles. Yeah, yeah. It's it's Merrifield type versatility with all the positions that he plays. And he was the... He was the preseason Big 12 Player of the Year, um, named that. So highly regarded college player, Nick Lofton, the, out of uh, out of Baylor. All right, Lynn, can't let you go without uh, – of course, the draft is going to continue uh, today, and, and you and I will talk again early next week uh, on baseball, and I hope that we can talk about – a, a planned season. We'll uh, we'll get into that more next week. But what's the latest you're hearing on 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 the, um, the, the restarting baseball and how many how many games do they play? When can it start? Well, the the commissioner made a pretty clear statement last night that they're going to play baseball one way or he another. He did, didn't he? Yeah, he, he <laughs> so, did. Hundred percent, I believe. He one hundred percent. And I'm not a mathematician, but that's pretty high as far as I understand. Um, as far as percentages yeah. go, so. Um, <laughs> Yeah, um, but and now the commissioner has the leeway where he can basically impose a season and basically say, okay, according to the agreement that they reached on March 26th with the prorated salaries, you can just say, okay, we're going to play 50 games. You guys will get you full prorated, and that's going to be that. Um, I think uh, they would they would like to have sort of a more in the spirit of uh, cooperation, uh, <laughs> something yeah. that's uh, you know between the players' association and the Major League Baseball owners. Um, an agreement that's probably, I mean, I think the last proposal was um, 89 games, I think was the last proposal that came yeah, to the players, to the, from the players to the owners. Um, it's probably going to come in under that. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if it's somewhere between, you know, 65, 70, but um, that still remains to be seen. Um, but there's going to be baseball one way or another. It's just a matter of how long the season is going to be. You're still looking at, probably three weeks of uh, spring training in multiple sites. The last uh, we had heard is the Royals preference was to do it at Kauffman. Um, that still hadn't been, you know, um, set in stone. You had to go through all the local health uh, hurdles and everything to be able to do that. But yeah, they would still need probably three weeks. And so you're talking about earliest, um, you know, and probably give them a week to get everybody gathered in the split, the space where you're going to have spring training. So um You'd be in the middle of July probably before you uh, could actually get something going. But um, if right. you're playing a shorter season, you know, you know, it's still the idea is you're going to finish the regular season before the end of September so you can finish the playoffs by the end of October and avoid November and potentially a second wave of the uh, virus. Yeah, that, that, right. That seems to be, that seems to be um, something that everybody agrees on, not, not extending the season past, you know, the, the, the typical, you know, end of October, first couple of days of November for the postseason, but also maybe some expanded playoffs by uh, by X number of teams that just don't know that yet. That's another thing that, uh, that they've got to agree. But, of course, the big money for, for television is in the postseason, and the owners are, you know, they I, I think they want um, as much postseason baseball as they can get. So kind of a, a sprint to the finish in the regular season, maybe expanded playoffs, and then um, and, and then a month worth of, of postseason baseball. At, at least that's what it seems like going into the weekend. And 
like I said, let's get through the draft. And and I, I, I imagine this will be a a big weekend for discussion on and, and, and with some kind of some kind of resolution next week because it's um, I'm not going to say they're running out of time because as you said, Rob Manfred said they are going to play baseball, but they've already they've already blown the opportunity to start early in July, right? The first week and maybe mm-hmm. build it build it around Fourth of July, which is a shame. I just thought that would have been a a, a cool thing, and 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 you know, baseball ain't going to be the first team sport back. I mean, there'll be Major League Soccer, and and um, you know, they'll be back in, in early July, and uh, the NBA. I mean, baseball had a chance to be the first sport back, and they have squandered that. Yeah, it's. I mean, it, the the important thing, I guess, if you're looking at a, a semi um, optimistic view, is that they get back in some form. Um, the, the missed opportunity of maybe being the first ones back and having a period where you were the only show in town, uh, it's hard to measure what that, you know, what the impact of that is. Right. But um, also, you know, you're probably getting the middle ground because the idea that they didn't play a season at all would have just been devastating. So you're not getting the best, which would have been coming back and having a, an exclusive window. You're not getting the worst, which is not playing any baseball at all. So you're somewhere in the middle is what's probably going to end up being. All right, Lynn, very good. We will um, appreciate the info today, and we'll talk to you again next week. All right. Hey, it's Blair. We have a special subscription offer for Sportsbeat KC listeners, unlimited digital access to the Kansas City Star's award-winning sports coverage. Sign up now for one year of Sports Pass for access to all the sports news, features, and columns presented on the KansasCity.com site, and it's only $30. That's a 40% savings off our regular rate. Your subscription will automatically renew after the initial term at 50 bucks, unless you tell us to cancel. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star, and that support has never been more important. Please visit KansasCity.com slash offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. We're obviously thrilled that, that Asa fell to us or got to us. Um, you know, we had him ranked as the number one pitcher in the class. Uh, we have a ton of history, and we followed this kid for a long time, all the way going back to sophomore year and then Team USA. And and for us to be able to uh, to add him in the mix of the group that we've got already, uh, I mean, this kid's a power arm with four plus pitches, um, incredible. Uh, incredible compete level. He's an animal on the field. Uh, I think he's a really good fit. I think him coming to us is uh, is a perfect fit for for both of us. What can you tell us about uh, Nick Lofton? Obviously, he's a a versatile guy. Uh, There's already been comparisons to Whit Merrifield. Uh, How how good do you feel about getting him at 32? Well, we were ecstatic to get Nick – Nick down to 32. Um, you know, you compared him to Witt. It's very similar, uh, except for uh, Nick can play shortstop, and he's a very good shortstop. Uh, but he has bounced all around the field. Obviously, with Team USA, he played all over. Um, but incredible makeup, very similar to Witt. It's an 80 makeup kid, uh, complete gamer, winner, um, a guy that can bounce all over the field. Uh, I know uh, when you talk to the Team USA coaches about that team, in specific, this is the kid that they said might have the best makeup on the team. So um, we're really happy, really excited that, that he was there. Again, uh, 
you're getting a, an up the middle premium position player. We think there's power in the bat, um, but the things that he brings to the table, the intangibles, the versatility, and uh, we still think there's a lot of ceiling in Nick. And and so uh, it was a good day. We we feel uh, very happy, very satisfied, and uh, the staff was uh, extremely uh, pleased with how today went. Hey, Dayton, one more thing. Uh, uh, going into this draft, did you think you could get a power arm like that, uh, that high? Uh, or were you thinking power? more offense? Or, yeah, or I mean, there, there's, there's, there were some power arms obviously available, Flanny, but um, w with the, uh, the impact and uh, the experience, the closeness uh, to the major leagues, uh, no, I mean, we, we didn't. I mean, we were, we were more focused truly on, on the position player crop. Uh, Lonnie had, had um, given me some uh, intel uh, probably about an hour and a half before the draft, uh, thinking that Lacey and, and Martin perhaps were going to get to us based on some maneuvering that was taking place uh, ahead of us. And so, uh, you know, we were, we were discussing uh, – you know, what we needed to do with Asa Lacey or, or Austin Martin, truthfully. And, uh, you know, we, and, and we even considered Nick Lofton uh, as high as four. And that's, that's how uh, thrilled we are, you know, about this process. And so I think we, we made a decision. And uh, uh, actually, we made a decision about 10 days ago. We were comparing Austin Martin and Nick Lofton. And we spent a lot of time breaking those two players down and um, who we really liked. And, and, and truthfully, there was a split camp on that because of Nick Lofton's ability to stay at shortstop. And, you know, two very good players. You know, when you look at uh, uh, the lack of strikeouts in, in Nick Lofton and the contact, and his approach and, and, the, and the power, um, I mean, there's some separators there that led some people to think that um, – you know, um, you know, push came to shove, depending on, you know, the, the entire draft, how it would lay out that Nick Lofton might be good uh, if we could package both, both of those guys. And so Lonnie, Lonnie's the best. I mean, he's the best at, at, at figuring this out. Uh, he's nonstop. He's relentless trying to figure out how to, to get as many good players as we can. And um, we were sweating it out. We were sweating it out big time on Lofton because – it was kind of a, you know, it was a little bit of a, uh, you know, a, just tough to, you know, wondering if he'd get to us. So, but scouting staff did a great job. The communication was outstanding and uh, we got more work to obviously do tomorrow. Who's next? Um, I mean, obviously you're not both in the draft room as usual, but how, how fun was this to, to do this and kind of, feel whatever type of sense of normalcy it felt? It was, uh, I don't know if it was fun, but it was exciting to get back, uh, obviously, to doing this. And we built, you know, we built up a lot of time and uh, an effort to, to prepare for this as the staff, you know, going back all the way to the finish of last year's draft. And so, um, you know, Dayton mentioned it before, but the work that the, the guys have done, especially over the last, you know, probably two months to prepare us for something that we've never had to do before was outstanding and uh, put us in incredible situations, not only for today, um, because I can tell you right now, those two players wanted to be here. 
and there's a reason they're here. So, um, but it's going to put us in a better position tomorrow. It's going to put us in a great position, uh, you know, in two days from now when hopefully we can uh, continue to add talent to the system. So that goes to the work that the guys have done. Uh, and it was, like Dayton said, it was relentless. We still haven't stopped. we got a lot of work to do tomorrow. Um, so uh, we're excited for the opportunity to get back at it tomorrow and then see what, uh, see what we have after tomorrow's uh, when we finish the fifth round. Uh, Dayton, Lonnie, uh, Seren Petro here from uh, WHB. Um, there's a lot of speculation that because, you know, kind of the, the last wave scouting circuit where everybody's kind of together and maybe talking around the cages and comparing notes that because everyone was isolated that every team might be going down its own road, that there wouldn't be kind of this, you know, compilation list that everybody would be maybe a little bit more unique in their evaluations because they wouldn't be influenced by hearing as much from other people. Uh, did that happen? Did you, did you feel like each team, and maybe it's too early to tell till we get a few more rounds under our belt, but uh, did you feel like each team kind of went their own path or did it seem like it, it went the way most drafts go? Uh, I haven't gotten a chance to really dissect what everybody's done, but I think it went, especially early on, I think it went the way it was supposed to. I mean, um, it seemed like the top names of our board continued to peel off very similar to, to how they went. I think that, um, you know, at the end of the day, I think when you get certain guys that see a certain player and across the country and some didn't, I think that will take shape. I think that's going to take shape probably early tomorrow. Uh, so I, I do think that I do think they kind of peeled off the way we thought they would. Uh, but I think the, the fun's going to really start tomorrow. There was likewise a lot of speculation about, uh, you know, would because it's only five rounds and the, the cap on signing anybody afterwards, would there be a lot more maneuvering as far as drafting signable players to have more money to bank for later? Uh, did that effect happen? Uh, did, did you see more of that going on uh, in this draft? I, I don't think so. I don't think it uh, – I haven't noticed it yet, and obviously we don't know what everybody – um, you know, maybe signing these players for, but I didn't see anything that was really surprising. Uh, I think the players that went were all good players and uh, highly evaluated players. Maybe the order was a little different, but um, I, I don't. I didn't see a ton of maneuvering, uh, to be honest with you. And, and uh, maybe maybe we'll see it tomorrow when some of the guys start to come off that had high price tags. See how many high school kids uh, get selected early tomorrow. That will probably be the tell of it. Uh, maybe who? Maybe some teams that may have saved some money, um, but I think it went. I think it went pretty close to script. At the end of the day, it's always going to go back to the evaluations you had coming in, and the evaluations that your that your area scouts and your cross checkers put you in a position to select players, and that goes for every department. And um, so I think it, it probably went to script. Hey, Lonnie, uh, uh, Sam Mellinger, I, th I think this was Flaney's question, maybe like your first or second answer. You said that you thought Lacey was uh, a perfect fit for you and you guys were a perfect fit for him. Can you expand on that a little bit? Because to me, that means more than talent. What, what, what specifically are you talking about there? Well, I, I we're talking Midwest, you know, and uh, I think just the way you know, we spent a lot of time with him and our guys got to know him really well. And uh, there's a comfort level with uh, the player and the personality of the player and the personality of the team and what we're building here. So his compete level is extremely high. Uh, his preparation is, 
exceptional. I think he's going to fit right in with the group that we have already uh, coming through the system. I think all the things that we're doing in player development, he's going to embrace. And so that's what I mean, meant by the fit. And, and again, when you spend as much time as we did with the player, uh, getting to know him and uh, there's just a comfort level. There was a good feel. And, you know, I, I, I don't know where the text is, but I know he sent a text to somebody saying uh, this is exactly where I want it to be. And so that means a lot to us. That means a lot that uh, the player we wanted, uh, you know, that we didn't think was going to get to us, um, ended up where he wanted to be and, uh, and where we wanted him to be. So that's that's what I meant by it. You know, wait till let, let me add something to that. I want to add a couple of things. Um, and when you get a chance to meet Asa Lacey and Nick Lofton, you guys are going to know exactly what we're talking about. I mean, these guys are absolute winners. They're articulate. They're prepared. Um, I mean, speaking to Nick Lofton tonight, I mean, the only thing he kept talking about is how we're going to win a World Series. I mean, this kid is a champion. And uh, it, like Lonnie said, I mean, that, that's just perfect fits for us. And when you, and when you go around um, and you ask the questions that we asked this year because of the abbreviated evaluation process, and you talk to all the, the elite veteran uh, head coaches at the major colleges. In fact, Tim Corbin said it tonight. There hasn't been uh, a more impactful pitcher in the SEC in the last 18 years. And that was the common theme of every SEC head coach and assistant coach that we spoke to. We talked to pitching coaches uh, around the league and the SEC and the Big 12 about Nick Lofton and hitting coaches about Nick Lofton. And as Lonnie said, all the USA people that were with them last year and their teammates, their multiple teammates that they've had throughout the college ranks. I mean, it's uh, th these guys are as impressive at this stage of their career as really any two players that we have selected uh, since we've been here in Kansas City. Hey, Dayton, Cody Tapp, 610. You'd mentioned you thought um, – Asa Lacey was really – or as close to the big leagues as he was at four. Anytime you say that, obviously varying degrees, but does that just mean you see him as similar guys you've taken like Brady Singer or guys or, – or can he get there faster? Like what's – Well, look, look, this guy – this guy's stuff is – I mean, it's it, it's top 1% of the world right now. I mean, and, and then you package that from the left side and what he's been able to accomplish when you look at the strikeout rates and, and, and what have you. I mean, it's just a matter of, of being able to dumb-proof your delivery, make sure you're in a position to uh, uh, to field your position well, rather, and uh, hold runners and just do some of the things you're, you're going to need to do at the major league level to kind of slow things down a little bit and put yourself in a, in a position to go deep into baseball games. But uh, I mean, he, he fits in right with uh, this this group that Lonnie has done such a great job and JJ uh, selecting and JJ has done such a great job developing in with Singer and Coer and, and Lynch and Bubich and Cox and I mean I can go on and on with with some of the guys and there, there's some guys that I left out there but uh, uh, like I said these guys blend in perfectly with uh, the group that we have that is ready to transition into the major leagues in the next year to 18 months. Because of the truncated minor league season, what would be the plan for him now versus how you might have handled a pitcher in the past, you know, considering he's barely pitched at the college level this year? Well, yeah, it's a great question. I mean, look, 
the, the important thing about everything that we're doing uh, this point forward is just to make sure we keep guys healthy uh, at the minor. I'm talking about our minor league players, major league, obviously, as well. But as it relates to our, our minor league guys and just prepare them for spring training of, of 2021. And that doesn't mean that they're not going to pit, assuming we have some type of instructional league or Arizona fall league. That's still to be determined at this time. Um, but we'll, you know, we'll evaluate it. I mean, obviously he's going to come in and, uh, he'll be assessed and, uh, uh, you know, we'll, we'll decide from there. Hey, Lonnie and Dayton, it's, uh, Lynn, uh, just wanted to go back. You had mentioned that the, um, when you, you'd thought you'd get, uh, Lacey and, uh, Martin fall to you at four. Was there much discussion about what to do there or with, what you guys had already seen from Lacey and the evaluations you'd made, is that a pretty easy decision? I'm going to let Lonnie answer that, but let me just clarify what I said. I mean, we, we found out um, as the draft was beginning to start that those two players were were uh, sliding our way. In fact, Lonnie and I uh, had made an advanced decision actually earlier this morning uh, about what we were going to do if that scenario occurred. And so we, we had already been through that. It wasn't a surprise to us is, is when, when we had to make the decision. We'd already made the decision. We just uh, we didn't think it was going to happen, but we already made the decision in case it did. So, Lonnie, you can, you can talk more about that. Yeah, and that was, uh, you know, that was something that we were ahead of. We had already decided it. We – we didn't know that it was going to come down that way, but we made an advanced decision and, and our staff had made an advanced decision that that's the way we wanted to go. Shall it happen? Um, and we're, we're fortunate it happened. I mean, we, I, we didn't go to bed last night thinking Asa Lacey might be there at, uh, with our, with the fourth overall pick. So, um, but you know, to the, to the credit of all the guys and all the work that they did and the job that Chris Reitzman and the guys have done and our cross checkers, um, we were prepared for it and we were ready for it if it happened. That will do it for today. Thanks to our production staff of Derek Donovan, Savannah Smith, Randy Mason, Beth Welsh, Jeff Rosen, and Chris Fickett. A tip of the cap to Lynn Worthy for joining me today to talk Royals. Links to the stories about the Royals can be found in the show notes and always on the True Blue app. Hey, earlier in the episode, you heard me talk about the Sports Pass offer. It still stands, still a good one. 30 bucks for a year's worth of sports coverage, and that includes Sports Extra on the E-Edition. There are more than 30 additional pages of national sports coverage today. Well, here's an even better offer. Buy the entire Kansas City Star product. Sports news features, commentary analysis, the whole bit. You get all the stories written by my talented colleagues, plus additional sports news and business coverage. Details can be found at account.kansascity.com slash subscribe. That's account dot kansascity.com slash subscribe and whether it's a sports pass for the full subscription you're getting and supporting the best news and sports coverage in kansas city and helping us produce programs like sports bkc thanks for listening and we'll talk to you again on friday